1: Hey everybody! It's Eric Tornberg, co-founder and partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm, and this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts.
2: Shelley Archambeau joins us today to talk about ambition, overcoming imposter syndrome, finding mentors, making better decisions leading authentically, and achieving your career goals and your life goals. Shelley is one of Silicon Valley's first female African-American CEOs. Today, she serves on the boards of Nordstrom, Okta, Roper Technologies, and Verizon after years as CEO of MetricStream. Shelley is also the author of the book Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms. It's rare to find advice that's both incredibly inspiring and actionable today. Shelly delivers this. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, everyone. Please welcome Shelly Archambeau. We lose something without the live audience. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And Shelly, first, I must say that in reading your book, you just reframed things from are my personal and professional dreams possible for me to what can I do to increase the odds that they actually happen? And it was just such an empowering message and so timely right now. So um, before we begin, let's um, engage our audience a little bit. And you shared that your very first job was working in a stable to pay for riding lessons, horse riding lessons. And let's ask attendees today, what was their first job? Let's, Let's see that.
3: And while they're filling that in, and you can be yeah. more specific, I cleaned stalls. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it wasn't this glamorous. oh, <laughs> the stables and groom horses, and no, no, I was cleaning out the muck. That's what I was
2: doing. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you and your mom were both are both horse lovers. And so, can you tell a little bit about your mom because it seems like um, there's a, a few stories that really helped uh, define ambition.
3: Yeah, really. It really did. You know, so I grew up in a household of very modest means. Money was always tight. Daddy got paid twice a month. And when dad got paid, we all got envelopes. We got our allowance for the next two weeks. And when I say we all, I mean, my dad got an envelope, too. So we all got our envelope. And that was all we had. And um, mom, you know, we never ate out at restaurants. She cooked everything from home. Um, she made all of our clothes, you know, sewing. I mean, so when I say modest means, modest means. So here's a woman who was always working. I mean, I don't, I, it's hard to remember her sleeping and I'm cleaning up the kitchen one night. It's my time to clean up the kitchen. There's four kids and I'm the eldest. And I'm sitting there, I'm washing like the pie plan. Mom, that only makes dinner, but we have a homemade dessert every night. I mean, it's really ridiculous how hard she worked. And so I'm cleaning the pie plan. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, you know, mom works so hard. And when it came time to eat dinner dessert tonight, you know, you cut up the pie and everybody reaches for the biggest piece. And mom gets the smallest piece because she takes the last one. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. So I woke <laughs> up to my mom after I finished, you know, bring her a cup of coffee. And I'm like, mom, I've decided I am not having children. <laughs> I'm like 13, 14 years old. I'm like, I am not doing this. And she's like, wait a minute, sit down, what are you talking about? I said, mom, I am not willing to work as hard as you work for the smallest piece of pie. I said, I'm I'm just not doing it. And she said to me, sit down. She goes, Shelly, I don't care about the pie. If I cared about the pie, I wouldn't have the smallest piece. There are other things that I care about and I have everything that I want and I'm going after everything that I want. She says, the key is to decide what you want and focus on that and let go of the rest. I'm like, huh, well, several years later, my mother bought a horse, <laughs> a horse. I mean, here we are, right, with our envelopes and you know homemade clothes and the whole bit, but mom got her horse. So it taught me early to decide what it is that you want and then go after it, figure out a plan, make the trade-offs, make the choices, but you can have anything that you want if you're willing to work for it and make choices
2: and trade-offs to get it. Love that. And I love in your book that you said uh, choices, not sacrifices. That's right. That's a That and that part is really
3: important to me Anne, because people will ask me sometimes, Oh my gosh, Shelly, with all you did, you must have made so many sacrifices. And what I say is, no, (laughs) I didn't make a single sacrifice. Now I made a ton of very hard trade-offs. And very tough choices. But the difference between the two, that vernacular, to me, is significant. A sacrifice is something that I do completely for someone else, for someone else. And when you make sacrifices for someone else, you put a ton of pressure on that person. Because suddenly, if I'm sacrificing everything for you, then you better feel appreciative, right? You better have gratitude. You better thank me. You better do. And if you don't do that enough, then I'm going to get upset because I did all this for you. And you're not even grateful, right? Think about in your lives, you can think of these conversations happening, right? So no, no, no. When you do that, you give your power away. Instead, I make choices and I make decisions contemplating obviously myself and everyone else, but I make them. I own them. There's no one else. That I'm looking to for reinforcement, right over them. So I make choices and trade offs. I don't make sacrifices.
2: Amazing. Um, and you've always been a planner. And at 16, you identified that you wanted to be a CEO. Oh, sure. So tell us, what does the planning process look like? Both of really refining what you want and then making the plan. Yeah. So you know, I became a planner because I I learned
3: that if I was intentional about what I was trying to achieve, I could improve my odds to actually get it. So what I did was i pick an objective, right? Whatever it is, it's my goal. What is it I'm trying to do? So I wanna become CEO, I'm 16. All right, I wanna become CEO. Look around, not a lot of people look like me. Okay, odds are not in my favor, I'm used to that. So I say, all right, so what has to be true for me to become CEO? Which just means I have to do my research. I have to figure out what has to be true. So I do the research, what are their backgrounds? What are the skills? Where do they go to college, right? I do all this stuff. And then based upon that, I say, okay, how do I make it true? Which becomes my plan, my action of how I make it happen. So it was then that I said, all right, well, people don't look like me, right? I need to have the best credentials possible because people aren't gonna assume that that's something that I can do. So I decided I had to go to the top business school. So I went to Wharton. I mean, it was just all these decisions. I picked technology, not because I was a programmer or frankly in love with tech at the time. I picked it because it was a growing industry and growing industries have growing companies and growing companies never have enough resources as you guys all know. And therefore, if you're good at what you do, underscore good at what you do, you will get more opportunities faster to take on more and more responsibility. Well, that fit my ambitions. I wanted to do all that. So every decision I made was in line with that overall plan. And I did that professionally, but also personally, any goal. What's the goal? What has to be true?
2: How do I make it true? And then I execute. And we're operating now in an unprecedented time, right? With the pandemic and things like that. How do you handle it when life throws a curveball that really needs to change a plan? Yeah, no, definitely plans. I mean, I have a whole section of the book called Swerve. Right, And the reason it's called
3: Swerve is because, yes, you can make plans, but it doesn't mean everything is going to happen that way. So you have to be flexible and agile and figure out a different approach when you do get an obstacle or roadblock or something in your way. So right now, pandemic, economic situation, political mess. I mean, all, all kinds of things happening that affect your business, your strategy, your customers. Right. So what do you do about it? Well, first is you make sure that you've got the basics covered. So solve the crisis. If there's a crisis that this has caused, solve that. Once you've solved it, though, keep your eye on the prize. Don't get distracted with all this noise. You know, it's almost like, you know, three and four year olds. I'm right now in Tampa, Florida, and I have some grandchildren. Three and four year olds, what do they do? They'll spin around. They love to get themselves dizzy, right? They spin and spin and spin and they'll wobble. And next, you know, bam, they're flat on their back, right? typically giggling, but flat on their back. (laughs) Well, you can use the same analogy to when crisis and pandemic, economic, racial justice, right? Global challenge, political, all this stuff is chaos and craziness. So what do you need to do? You have to focus. It's like a dancer. A dancer can spin and spin and spin and spin and stop and go on fluidly, don't get dizzy at all. Why? They pick a focal point and they keep their eyes trained on that focal point and they spin Whip around, spin, whip around. As CEOs, as entrepreneurs, we need to keep that focal point that what's the prize? What is the strategy? What is it we're trying to do? And once you get things in place that you're out of the crisis, stay focused on that and make decisions consistent with that. Don't let yourself wander and get pulled into all these other directions. Otherwise, you'll let it flat on your back, like a three-year-old.
2: <laughs> Hopefully giggling, but still. Uh, sure. uh, okay, we're going to jump around a little bit. You have a very unique strategy for working with mentors. You say adopt them. Can you tell us about that?
3: Absolutely. So just a quick story. When I was uh, at IBM, uh, probably I don't know, six or seven years into my career, IBM decided that they wanted their high-potential people to have mentors, and they asked us who we wanted our mentors to be. Well, I picked a guy that I knew was a couple levels above me. I thought he liked me. I said, great, I'll pick a Roland. So I put his name down. Well, several days later, he calls you back, Shelly. Hi, Roland. Shelly, you put my name down to be your mentor. And I'm like, well, yeah, Roland, I thought you liked me. And he said, Shelly, you've got me. Go get somebody else. And I was like, oh. So I, I learned a couple things in that very short period of time. One. I had mentors that I didn't even know were mentors. It doesn't have to be a formal relationship. And two, I can have as many as I want. And so I took that and literally put it on steroids. I'm like, huh, well, one mentor is good. Three is better, 10 is wonderful, 50. I mean, literally, over my career, I've had a ton of them. But I also learned, you don't ask people to be your mentor. Don't ask, because a lot of times they're too busy, they don't have time, and you'll get the no, right? Instead just adopt them. Treat them like a mentor. And before you know it, they might even claim you as a mentee, even though you never had that formal conversation. So I talk in the book about how to do it. But bottom line is you ask people simple questions to start that don't take much time and effort. Then you respond back and let them know how they've influenced and affected you. And if you just keep doing that over time, you'll end
2: up with a mentor. But that's how I've gotten Just about all of my mentors. Amazing. Very, very helpful tips. Okay. Now switching over to imposter syndrome. So Um, how have you dealt with it? How do you recommend other people overcome it? Oh gosh. Well, first of all, I can't tell you how to overcome it (laughs) because I've
3: had imposter syndrome my entire life, my entire life. Uh, And it's interesting because I'm writing the book and I talk about it all through the book because I've dealt with it every single step but I did a little bit of research and it turns out that most people suffer from imposter syndrome at some point or another. Women suffer from it more than men and women of color get it the worst. So I can't tell you how to get over it because believe it or not, I still have it at times crazy, but I can tell you how to deal with it. And the way you deal with it is number one, realize that it's not you. It's actually in the environment. If everybody suffers from it, then it's in the air, okay? So when you hear that little voice, realize it's not real. It's just kind of in the air, it's like television. Sounds real, looks real, makes you, can feel real, it's not real. We tell our kids that all the time, it's not real. Don't get scared, don't get worried, it's not real. Well, this little voice telling you, you're not capable. Oh, wait till they find out, you don't know as much as they think you know, right? What makes you think, I mean, all those things that little voice is telling you, that voice is not real. All right, if that doesn't work, then realize that the time you feel imposter syndrome is typically when someone else is offering you something, a job, an opportunity, join a group, right? Enter a room, speak in for whatever it is, it's something is happening. And that's when you start to feel it. Well, if they've asked you, if they've invited you, if they've offered something to you, it's because they believe you can do it. So if you can't believe in yourself, believe them. And if that doesn't work, Fake it. Fake <laughs> it. I love that. Right? Love just it. act like you know what you're doing until you do, because you always do. Eventually, you always figure it out. So just shoulders back, heads up, and walk in that room mm-hmm. like you're confident.
2: Well, related to that, you have a tip that says broadcast your ambitions. Can you tell more about that?
3: I honestly believe that if you don't tell the universe what you need and what you want, the universe can't help you. And I firmly believe that the universe will help you because it's helped me all the way through. If I let people know what I want, people generally want to be helpful. So how do you do that? Well, you don't walk around saying, oh, hey, I want to be CEO. So, you know, figure it out for me, right? (laughs) No, it doesn't work. Nobody wants to help that person. Um, But instead, if you just ask people for help and you can do that and share your aspirations at the same time. For instance, the conversation is, You know, and one day I aspire to be the chief marketing officer of a retail company, right? Do you think I have the potential to do that? And typically when you ask a question like that, all you're asking about is potential. So most people that you would say that to will say yes, because it's no commitment, right? Wonderful. Now you've got them hooked. It's like fishing. So once they say yes, you say, great. What experiences do you think would help me? compete for that kind of job? What skills should I be developing? It gives you a chance to ask for the roadmap, right? The roadmap, and then it gives you a chance to then check in with the person on, hey, you suggested I do X, Y, and Z, and I've done Z. Here's what happened, right? And now you've got a supporter. So you know, I find that people think that asking for help, asking questions, right? They think that's a sign of weakness. I will tell you, it is a sign of strength. It's a sign of strength. So reframe that in your mind because the best way to
2: i found to do almost anything is to either ask for help or give help. Super, and this is a perfect segue to a question we have from Nate Wynn in the chat, which also is referenced in your book. And so what Nate says is, how do you recommend we balance between showing confidence in our work and being vulnerable enough with mentors or others to achieve growth and maybe related to that is a point in your book. There was a study that said women didn't use to ask for anything. Now they're asking more. But sometimes when you're asking, you're perceived as bossy or aggressive or something like that. So,
3: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of things wrapped in there. So first, with regards to this whole notion about being confident and yet vulnerable. So I will tell you that vulnerability is absolutely a side effect of being ambitious. You have to show vulnerability because when you ask for help, when you ask for advice, you're being vulnerable, right? When you share things that you're not quite confident about and all that, you're being vulnerable. But if you aren't being vulnerable, then you can't learn from others. So you have to be vulnerable um, in order to be able to achieve all these things. With regards to asking, and especially women, so yes, women are asking more, which is good. But we have such a narrow lane that we're allowed to walk before we're considered too weak or too bitchy, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we've got this kind of this lane. Now, women, it's narrow. Women of color, it's like pencil thin. Right? So just so we're clear. Um, so how do you how do you do it? Now, first of all. A lot of people say, well, gosh, why should I have to act different? That's not fair. Well, you know what? Life isn't fair. That's another thing you'll hear over and over in my book. It's not fair. So you can either spend a lot of time focused and upset that it's not fair, or just figure out how you make things work in your favor, given the environment that we've been dealt. And then over time, as more and more of us are successful, people will see a different paradigm. But how do you do this? You let people know what you want, But you don't do it with, here's what I want, here's why I should get it, the whole bit. That is, that's professional, absolutely professional. But for women, doesn't work. Women of color, absolutely not. No, what you have to do, typically, what I've done, is to go and tell them what you would like, right? Not so much what you demand. And again, I always do it by asking for help or feedback, you know, in terms of, well, you know, one day I aspire to be promoted. Um, And here are the things that you've suggested that I need to do. Here's what I've done. Right. What else needs to be shown? Because this is something that I'm very passionate about and really want to do. I mean, so you do it in a way in which you are asking for their help to support you. Right. In something. Now, are the times you need to ask for something? The answer is yes. But you try to ask for it in a way that shows others how it helps them. I negotiated once for a job uh, at a company called North Point. They were offering a job for EVP of sales. But when I asked them how they were going to measure success, they said by reducing their cost of sales while growing right, the business. And I said, well, then I want marketing too. right? Now, I didn't say, then I want marketing too, because that would have <laughs> been like, okay, no, no. But what I did say was, if that's what you want to achieve, 50% of your cost of sale is typically in your marketing budget. And if it's in the marketing budget, then in order for me to truly impact it, it would be helpful to have both and I've led marketing as well as sales. And here are the five things that I would do right off the bat, blah, 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 blah. So if you really want me to achieve this as soon as possible, you really ought to think about putting these together. Now, did I ask for that? Yes, I did. But did I do it in terms of how it will help them and why they should want to give it to me? I did.
2: And you know what? They did. They combined the
3: job. So those are some tips that I'd offer.
2: Wonderful, Um, so unfortunately you've had to um, encounter and address systemic racism and lots of challenges. And we have lots of early stage founders assembled here who are thinking about diversity and inclusion in their own companies. Can you um, talk a little bit about how you might advise them?
3: Sure, so first, start early. You're in the best position. You know, here's what happens with larger companies, whether it's boards or executive teams, It's like, oh, we need to bring in diversity. Well, they have like one job left, all right? So for that one job, they're now saying, well, gosh, I can't find the right person for one job. You've got an organization of hundreds, if not thousands of people, all right? Start early, whether it relates to your board or your leadership team. If you start from the beginning, you have every job to fill. So therefore you are wide open on skill sets, capabilities, right, all those things. So start early. If you don't have the network, spend time, build the network, leverage other people's networks, but be intentional. The key is be intentional. It's not gonna happen by accident because by accident happens with what we can immediately see and touch, which is our existing networks. So you have to be intentional if this is what you wanna do and study after study, after study, after study, after study shows that diversity whether it's at the board level, the leadership level, the company level, improves, innovation returns, right? So yeah, just be
2: intentional about it. Excellent. Rumor has it that you had a stuffed elephant on your desk at Metric Stream. What <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I did.
3: You know, one of the things that happens as you rise higher and higher in the organization is people become less likely to tell you What's happening directly. You know, I like to say that the higher you get, the harder you have to listen because people hint at it, right? Or they get, but they don't just tell you. So I had an elephant because the elephant meant, you know, there's a whole thing about the elephant under the table, the thing that everybody knows about, but nobody mentions because I don't want to be the one to, you know, raise this nest. So I kept the elephant and the elephant was literally in my office. And if I felt things were going on or nobody had raised like the topic or the issue in a while, I'd stick it on the table Say, What's the elephant? Right? I mean, but the bottom line is you have to create an environment that people know you actually want to hear it. You can't say, I want to hear it. And then when you're told it, you get upset or you get angry, or you there's retribution or somebody's account. I mean, as soon as you do that, you're not getting anything. All right. So you have to create an environment in which people feel encouraged to actually share which means you also have to, you can not be vindictive and all kind of things, but if you also don't address it, you're not going to get those elephants either, because then why bother? Why should I take the risk of raising the elephant when nothing's going to happen anyway? So you have to be willing to take action or say you're not taking action and here's why, but there needs to be a formal
2: closure. Great. Uh, when you joined Zaplet, which merged later with MetricStream, it was months from bankruptcy. It was a risky and hard choice. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> it worked out great, but can you talk a little bit about how you think about which risks are good to take? And
3: ah, uh, yeah. So first of all, taking risks, I think, is critical if you have high aspirations and ambition. You know, again, studies show people who take risks in their career actually go farther and are happier, whether or not they achieve their ultimate objective or not um, with their with their career. So it's important to get comfortable with risk taking. Now that doesn't mean you take any risk. You take risks that make sense. And the questions that I would ask myself is, all right, what is the opportunity in front of me? What is the likely outcome, right? What's the potential way upside? And if that looks like, that's exciting, Then I asked myself, what is the worst that could happen? And can I live with it? And when you put it in those terms, you'd be amazed with how much you can live with. Because if it doesn't impact my health, if it's not gonna sacrifice my family, if it is not going to put me out on the street, right? Then I can actually handle a lot. Um, So frame it for yourselves. Many times we don't take risks because we're afraid yet we haven't actually defined what the fear is. Could I get embarrassed? Yeah. (laughs) Can I live with that? I can, right? Could I, I mean, so if you really dig into those things, um, I think you'll find that you can actually take more risks. I like to tell people, deal with facts, not with fear. You know, life is scary. The world is absolutely scary. But if you figure out the facts, the why, what could really happen? What is it we're really scared of? and really peel the onion back, many times it becomes a lot less scary and therefore you're willing to take the risk.
2: Love it. And one more question for me and then we'll bring on some other folks to ask you questions. But um, you've said that a key mistake that startups often make is falling in love with their product. Mm. Can you elaborate a little bit? I can, so here's what happens.
3: You know, falling in love with your product, it's almost like, it's like a baby, all right? When you have a baby, nobody in the world can tell you your baby's ugly. Uh, nope. No, nope. <laughs> your baby is perfect. Right. And you are going to nurture and care for every single need and requirement. Right now. Oh, absolutely. Well, when you fall in love with your product then all of a sudden you're treating your product just like this baby. Your product is perfect. Oh, wait, no, you just don't understand how to use it. Let let me make sure you're being trained right. Oh, no, no, you just haven't figured out the benefit of that feature, right? We've become defensive with our product because we know it's perfect. No, no, no. It's much better to fall in love with your market, with your customer, so that all that care, feeding, nurturing... Responsiveness is all focused on what customers need and what customers want so that you can adapt and adjust and develop the future roadmap for your product to meet the future needs. But many companies, people fall in love with the product instead of with the market, with the customer, with the actual problem that they're trying to solve. And that's a big issue because once you fall in love with the product and not the market, odds are
2: your product is not gonna fit the market need for long. Super advice. Okay, so let's transition a little bit. We'll bring uh, Yael up to the stage.
4: Hello. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time, Shelley and Anne and the whole Village team for for putting this on. Loved a bit about what you were talking about earlier about imposter syndrome. And and one area that I wanted to kind of dig into a bit was would love your advice on how to handle gendered pushback on on unapologetic ambition. In other words, like how do you best set yourself up for success as an unapologetically ambitious woman in a world where that can sometimes be perceived as aggressive or off-putting in some ways? Definitely appreciate some of what you're talking about in the the way in which you were doing it. Would love to just dig into that a little bit more.
3: Sure, so the reason I even titled the book Unapologetically Ambitious is because many times I was told I was ambitious and it wasn't always meant as a compliment. And if you think about it, that's ridiculous. You would never like raise your child to say work hard, do your best, try things, take risks, and oh, but 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 don't be too ambitious. <laughs> oh, what is that? So yeah. you know, unapologetically ambitious is everybody. Everyone deserves to be ambitious, and we shouldn't have to apologize for it. So when it comes to the workplace and what we're trying to do, right? When people say things, so here's what I do. You know, when I learned to do is if I got the feedback on, oh, they're too ambitious, or, and again, is meant as a negative, or anything along those veins, because sometimes that's what they're saying, but they don't use the word ambitious, right? And I'm sure you've experienced that. What you say, what I used to do, is I would act like I was kind of stupid. You know, I'd be like, oh, what what do you mean? Can 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 you explain that to me? All right, now, why did I do that? Because many times, people don't even realize what they're saying. They just don't realize so now they have to explain it you're too ambitious or whatever this. now they have to explain it and you know what happens and just keep digging i mean I just keep saying i mean explain what do you mean can you give me an example right how would you have handled that what and what happens is they realize it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> all right they realize it so instead of taking it at face value never take those kinds of comments at face value don't take it and say geez, can you believe that person said that no you actually, if it's at a meeting, it's anything afterwards, you say, Hey, you know, I, I just want to make sure I understand and take the feedback, right? Can you just help me understand? But many times doing it that way, you can actually help change a perspective one person at a time. Super. That's
4: thank wonderful. You so thank you. And now up next is Amrit. Hey, Shelly. I uh, hate. And thanks so much for uh, uh, for this awesome session. Uh, it sounds like Yale and I are kind of on the same wavelength, uh, asking about imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, I feel it too. Uh, I'm a first-time entrepreneur, and I think if everything goes well, I'll be feeling like an imposter for the rest of my career. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. <laughs> so- in that spirit, I, uh, you know, I, I really honed in on your uh, uh, comment to fake it like you, uh, fake it till you make it. Uh, it sounded like you had some power pose ideas. Is there any other advice, or you know, maybe some stories from your career that you can share uh, with with a seed stage entrepreneur who feels imposter syndrome on a daily basis? And and yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So when I first
3: became CEO. You know, people tell you it's lonely. I mean, you hear all these things, right? But until I was actually in the job, that was all intellectual information. Um, And suddenly it was like, oh, it's lonely because I have no peers. Everybody works for me or I work for them. I'm like, ah, that, you know, so it's like, ah, okay. Uh, So all these things that should have been obvious, I didn't feel and understand before. So the first thing I did to help myself with this whole imposter syndrome is I'm like, I need peers. So I literally pulled together my own group, and I happened to pick women. I wanted women entrepreneurs this back in you know 2000 and when did we pull it together? 2004, 2005, uh, because there weren't there very were many of us, and some of the issues we faced were actually very specific to us. So I pulled together a group about you know eight of us I think to start that were also building companies, and literally we became each other's peers. And it wasn't, and we get together officially like once a quarter, but it wasn't the once a quarter things that were important. It was all the calls in between to say, oh my God, I've got to redo this cap table, right? How? Who's done that before? How Because I didn't want to go to my board, right? I didn't want to go, You want so you need people or can you believe this just happened, whatever it was. So that became my group. And as a result, it helps with imposter syndrome because if you can build more confidence by actually chatting with people who have done things before, Right. And again, it's not like everybody had done it before, but we'd all done enough different things that we were able to support each other all the way through. We met for we continue to meet literally um, until like just a few just a few years ago Um, and mainly because we just picked a different forum. So that group went on for a dozen years.
4: That's awesome. Thank you.
3: Yep.
2: Amazing. And um, we have another question, which is what do you do when people aren't well intentioned and when you follow up? with the questions you suggested, like, oh, can you give me an example? And they're not forthcoming.
3: Mm. Unfortunately, well, I think most people are well-intentioned. There are some people that are not. So if you figure out that they are not, then you just have to treat them like a roadblock and you figure out a different way around it. It's hard to, to change uh, a person's values, a person's personality, a person's, you know all, all those things. Um, Fortunately, in my experience, those people have been fewer, you know, in general, most people are actually well-intentioned. They just don't always have the tools or don't always understand or haven't had the experience or, you know, all those other things. But when I find ones that are just not, they're not going to get it, and it doesn't matter how much time or effort, I just treat them like a roadblock
2: and I work around them. Great. And we have uh, a question from Rachel Craig, who's going to join us on the stage here.
0: No. Hi, Shelley. First of all, thank you so much for this amazing talk. The question I have for you comes from, I'll pick up myself, I've got a 50% female team, many women of color that I work with. And so one of the things we talk about is that when you are a woman of color in the workplace, there's an unfair extra burden of discernment when you're hitting a growth challenge, right? Is it one, you know, something that I should take control of in terms of learning a new skill and developing myself? Or two, is this a bias that I need to tactfully push past and find a way to get around so that I can grow. And I'm curious how you think about coaching and developing that discernment ability, which is so important, uh, particularly to women and women of color's careers. Mm. So,
3: you know, I I think it's important to be continually learning, right, and growing. And when you think about skill sets that you need to have yourself versus Mm -hmm. others have, a lot of that's tied to your ultimate aspirations what what are you actually shooting for so it's hard to answer in a vacuum there isn't a general statement but i'm going to say given the audience of you know global village is typically entrepreneurs and investors and whatever i'm going to assume that um, you're either trying to build companies yourself or build companies by bringing financing to build companies and that's the overall objective so you want to make sure that the skill sets that are required to be successful in those capacities that you are absolutely building you know, but, there's, but there will definitely be others that you don't need to build, but if you're not gonna build them, make sure they're always a part of your team somewhere. You know, I, one of the things I like to say is focus on your strengths versus mm-hmm. on your weaknesses. You know, weaknesses need to be at par, so they don't actually bring you down, um, but you don't need all of your skills to be strengths because there are some things that you are, you know, naturally better at. And if you spend five hours, taking something that you're good at and becoming better, you're going to become Mm -hmm. way better. Whereas if you take the same five hours and put it towards something that you're really not very good at, you don't really enjoy, you're going to move the needle maybe an inch. So that's kind of a wasted effort, right? Why move an inch when I could probably move a couple feet if I actually Mm -hmm. spent the same time right, strengthening strengths? And in general, you're known for your strengths. You're not known because of your okay weaknesses, right? You're known- So continue to refine and strengthen those strengths, because that's what you will be known for.
2: Sure. So double down on your strengths. Thank you, Shelley. Mm -hmm. Great. And Shelley, in the book, you had a comment about leadership. You said, I think, something like, some of the most productive people get things done with or through others. How how have you thought about leadership in your career, and what advice might you have for early-stage founders that are thinking this through? Yes. So... Again, founder, early stage founders, you know, CEOs.
3: Many times people think, oh, once I'm a CEO, great, I get to make all the decisions. And it's just the opposite. You know, you should be making fewer and fewer decisions the higher you rise in an organization. And people are like, what are you talking about, Shelly? Why I me? Mean? Right. But the key is you want your team to be making decisions. Yes, you ratify, right? Yes, you approve, yeah. yes, you agree. But you want them to be the ones that are developing these strategies that are making decisions, right? And coming to you with, okay, here's the recommendation. Here's what we should do. You don't want people coming to you with, here's the problem, here's the situation, what should we do? You want people to come and say, hey, here's what's going on. I think we should do this, blah, blah. You say, great, go do it, right? That's what I mean. So when you think about it, as founders, one of the biggest challenges is releasing that control because many founders actually are real control freaks. Because almost by definition, you know, it's your baby, right? You you spent all this time, effort, everyone, make sure everything is going right and it's working. And so you eat your hands everywhere. Well, when you do that, you actually suppress the ability of the team to grow. And it's suppressing the ability of the team to grow. You're suppressing the ability of your company to grow. So you want to make fewer decisions, not more. And you want to figure out how to get more and more work done through others so that you're modeling the right behavior because you want that tier to do the same thing to the next tier. The way you get leverage in building your company is by actually enabling everyone to be as efficient in their
2: ability to make decisions and execute right as possible. Super. And it, you're very successful. you accomplished a lot, but I bet you still have plans for the next few, uh, wave or next chapter. And, um, If you're in the interest of broadcasting your ambitions, what is next on your plan? Uh, You know,
3: so here's the interesting one. You're right. I've had a plan forever. I've always (laughs) had a plan. Um, But I will tell you, I find myself in a place where I'm very uncomfortable, right? And I'm very uncomfortable because uh, some of you may know if you've read the book, but if you haven't, you don't. But my husband passed away last year. Um, yeah, we had been married uh, almost 35 years. Uh, and I could never plan. He had a terminal cancer, so we knew where this was going. Um, and I could never plan without him in the picture. I, I, I just couldn't do it. And so when he, when he passed, you know, I found myself where I don't actually have the plan. So I said, you know what? I spent the last, whatever, 40-some-odd years of my life telling the universe what I want, I'm gonna to listen to the universe and figure out what it wants from me. Wow. What I do know is I'm focused, this whole phase of my life is focused on impact and inspiration. I want more people to be able to achieve their aspirations. And yep. that's why I wrote the book, to give you the tools and show you how to do it. That's why I'm spending time talking and doing all this. And then in the process, I'm gonna to listen to figure out, okay, is there something else that I can offer and do that will actually help make that broader impact? Um, on people. So that's where I am. I'm listening. Wow. To you. Yeah. Well,
2: thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, our heart is with you in, in, uh, in condolences, but um so excited to, to, for this next chapter and you are delivering on the inspiration. We have one last question. Okay. Um, can you tell us about a time you failed and how you overcame it and moved on um, even in the face of imposter syndrome or, you know, other doubts? Oh, gosh.
3: <laughs> yes. There were. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm trying to think of a good, a good one, well, given the entrepreneur's focus, so um, <laughs> metric stream. Uh, so here we are, you know, turn this company around, because um, we I took the job in the early 2000s, dot .com bubble burst, right, the whole bit, it's a mess, we finally get it on track, we are evangelizing about comprehensive compliance and risk, because there's no market, but we believe there's a solution, and we're getting our first customers, and we're getting going, and finally the analysts at the beginning of 2008, say, ah, there's a new category. Gartner publishes the Magic Quadrant for governance, risk, and compliance, and metric a leader. Yes, right? So we're going to double down. We're going to invest in sales and marketing and implementation people to take advantage of this growth, and we'll raise money in 2009. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Everything went great for a few months. And then, you know, fourth quarter, slam shut, and it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so we limp into 2009. And when I say limp, I mean limp in, you know, we have fumes for dollars, so remember, we're going to raise money and on the growth and all this kind of good stuff. And so here I am with this team that has worked so hard. And are we going to fold? Or are we going to fight now talk about a risk? You know, I in February, right, we did not have enough payroll to make it a whole nother quarter. <laughs> all right, just to give you an idea. So we were on fumes, and we fought, and we made it through. But it was—I uh, had, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had so many nights. I was yeah. like, "God, you know, we've got to get this customer to pay this bill, otherwise, you know, I can't do this." I mean, it was crazy, crazy, crazy period. But yes, you—you you fortitude, perseverance, and you get the right
2: team, and you show by example, and you just fight. Love it. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for your inspiration. And um, uh, for everyone here, who can't recommend the book highly enough. Follow Shelly her, for her wisdom. And um, again, thank you so much, Shelly, for your time and, and wisdom. Absolutely. And, and thank you so
3: much. And thank you all. And please be unapologetically ambitious.
1: If you're an early-stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.
2: Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update.
1: today's episode is brought to you by patreon if you're interested in supporting the show go to patreon.com slash joshua and become a two dollar backer today and get early access to the new episodes i'll be leaving a link in the description down below but for now on to today's episode you're listening to the Augment experience podcast i'm your host as usual joshua vellis i'm a student musician and a gamer at heart Join me as I sit down every week to talk about all the latest news in the technology, business, and video game world. I hope you guys enjoy.
6: All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is Josh Velas. I'm your host as usual. And obviously, welcome back to the show. Today's episode 149 of the show. And before we get started, we're do a little bit of house cleaning real quick because, well, you guys know we always like to do it around here and it only makes sense that we do. And, well, this is the last house cleaning for the year. So, you know, depending on how you view this year, it could be good or bad, but we'll get into that. But let's do the last house clean for 2020. So... I do want to say thank you guys for coming back and listening. Today's episode, it really does mean a lot to me. You guys constantly keep coming back and keep downloading these episodes. You keep sharing these episodes. You constantly keep letting me know how you feel about them because it really does mean a lot, to be honest, to me. It does. And I've been very honest and transparent about that, but it really does mean a lot to me. I also want to say thank you to the Patreon backers. You guys have continued to be great. You guys have continued to, you know, grow throughout this year. We've only had one backer and now we got two, so... Hey, that's a victory, man. We increase Patreon backers. Even if it's just by one person, it's still an increase. And that's really all that matters to me, to be honest. If I'm being transparent with you guys, it's just being honest, like an increase is an increase, but I do want to say, thank you guys. You guys are great. I do want to say that if you do want to become a Patreon backer, you can obviously click the link down below, whether you're listening to the audio version or watching the video version on YouTube that you can just click the link down below and you can become a Patreon backer there's two tier setups so you can just choose whichever one you prefer or which one, you know, overall you prefer or which one you feel like you want to pick. I do also want to say thank you guys for this incredible year we've had so far and I do want to save that part a little bit more for the actual like discussion. Which I can't even say it's a discussion because it's a real talk episode. But I do want to say thank you guys for everything and you guys are great, but let's get right into the real talk now because This is me. I wanted to save this for a little bit later. And I wanted to do two episodes this week. But I decided that it was better to do one, given my personal circumstances going on, which in due time, I'll explain. Or if you know me in real life, that that can be easily explained. But I do want to say that I decided to go with one episode this week because I wanted to do a recap of 2020. I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, Josh, you know, 2020 has been a very interesting year. And I agree. 2020 has definitely been a very interesting, peculiar, like just whack year. If I'm being honest with you guys, like this year has been pretty crazy. And I can attest to that. A lot of stuff has happened this year. A lot of stuff has changed this year. And I feel like I just want to reflect on it because even though, yes, this year has been shit. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's been pretty shit. There's been a lot of good come out of it. And I do want to reflect on that because I feel like it's just not healthy or accurate to just state all the negatives and pretend that that's all that's happened because That's not true. That's not what happened. That's only a piece of the puzzle. And I do want to reflect on it a little bit because I feel that, hey, maybe this can give someone a little bit of perspective or introspective that they can look back at this year and be like, hey, yes, a lot of bad stuff has happened this year. We're not going to pretend that a lot of stuff hasn't happened, but we're also going to acknowledge the good. Because that's also important is we acknowledge the good and there has been a lot of good. And I do want to acknowledge that. Like, yes, for me, 2020 has started off a bit funky because the whole stuff with my family, with my grandfather passing and school just being annoying, like I was barely in what my, the, the spring semester of 2020 And I was just getting into my circuits class for college. And I was still pursuing engineering at the time. And yeah, that class was kicking my ass because it was a very difficult class. I didn't expect that it would just jump this. I didn't expect the difficulty to jump that much, especially when something that I felt very comfortable with the material that I was like, okay, I get this in class. I get this, how this works, how this works. And then when it came to the second test, I barely passed with the skin of my teeth. And then the third test was just brutal because, well, because of COVID, we had to transfer to online classes and the teacher just wasn't very, I wouldn't say adept to adapting to it, but she wasn't the best at accommodating the transition. And that made things much difficult. And it ended up making me fail the class. Like, on top of the whole thing with my grandfather, because... <clears throat> Like, with my granddad passing, that was rough, to be honest. Like, I'm not going to pretend it didn't hurt because it's my grandfather. My grandfather, you know, he was a cool guy. Like, my grandfather always wanted to see how I was doing, was always happy to see me. And it was rough, you know, because I couldn't be there. And on top of stuff like that, like just being depressed because I was like, I was still going through this phase of learning how to be content while being single, because I know that's not an easy thing to deal with sometimes that, especially given the whole world circumstances right now, being single is not the most enjoyable experience. And I think it became a little bit more difficult as over time, I kept seeing my friends either, you know, celebrating two, three, four, five years of being with their partners or getting engaged or actually getting married and posting pictures of their weddings and stuff like that. And they just, it kind of stung a little bit, you know, like you always being told you're such a great guy, you're always, you know, a really sweet, loving guy. However, there's always a but right afterwards and that always bothered me. And that was something that I had to learn over time to deal with, that I had to learn to be content with who I am as a person and truly know who I am. And at the same time, it's learning to be content because one thing that my mentor told me was, Josh, you're never going to be content when... You can't be content when it's just you and God, because if you can't do that, you'll never be content when there's somebody else there. You'll never be happy. You'll never truly enjoy having that person around because you cannot be content by yourself. And you can't acknowledge that you need to be a complete person before you find that other person, because two halves are not going to make one person. No, it's two complete people become one. You know, that's why they say stuff like two become one. It's two complete Emotionally healthy, like healthy in every aspect of your life, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever aspect you want to add on there, two healthy people becoming one. That's the goal. That's the end goal. That's what you should strive for. It's not two halves trying to fix each other because you can't fix each other. And that was something that I had to learn. That was hard. On top of the whole stuff with school, on top of the whole stuff with my grandfather, that it added up. I was stressed. I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I was not happy for a good portion of this year. I really wasn't. It wasn't until I would say, hmm, I would say maybe not until like, maybe May or around that area June, around that time that I started to become a little bit more happier that I started to learn what it meant to be content with my life. And that was rough because at that point in time, COVID had already kicked in a lot of the lockdown restrictions have been enforced. And it just wasn't easy. Because as much as I love my family, sometimes I can get a bit annoying. And that's nothing on them. It's just that's what happens naturally is you're naturally going to get annoyed with people you're close with. Like some people say, Josh, that's weird. No, that's perfectly normal because that's human interaction is you're going to get annoyed regardless. That's okay to get annoyed with people you care about deeply because you're such, I would say you're very vulnerable with each other because you know each other that well. And that was just the reality was I got annoyed. And then, yes, as much as it does seem that I'm just like, Josh, you just seem to be, you know dragging on about all the bad stuff why don't we talk about the good stuff i would say primarily would be the increase of the show the fact that we got over a thousand total a thousand extra total downloads this year the fact that we hit two thousand plus total downloads this year was incredible for the show the fact that the show has expanded to a youtube version as well a proper youtube version instead of just well what the media host does is it takes the audio episode and then put pumps it on youtube but it just puts all the spreaker all the stuff on there so that's why you see like a lot of the older episodes have like spreaker and like from the media host and stuff like that but it's still the same episode as the audio version it's just published like that but the fact that we were able to start a proper like youtube version of the show like video and everything with you know video production video editing and stuff like that the fact that I started to dip my toes in photography and videography and got much better at it. And I got a lot of practice with my church because we were able to set up the live streaming at my church. And now we have a successful live stream going with it. The fact that now the services are able to be live streamed and people are able to see it. The fact that I was able to grow into a much deeper relationship with my mentors, the fact that I was able to grow much deeper in my relationship with the congregation and my home church, the fact that I was able to make new friends, the fact that I was able to become a CA, a community advisor on campus. And that has been an experience in its own right, because it's been difficult too. I'm not going to pretend that it's been easy. There's been highs, there's been lows, there's people that like me, there's people that don't like me, and that's okay, that's normal, that's part of the process. But it has definitely been rewarding, because I was able to do what I said I wanted to do. That if I am able to impact even the lives of just one person, that is a success for me. That tells me that I'm doing my job and I have. And for me, it was heartwarming and it was fulfilling. It was such a blessing that I understood why my mentor told me, Josh, the position that you have is such a wonderful opportunity to serve. I never understood what that meant until it finally clicked until the, it finally made sense. And It was incredible and it was such a uh, fulfilling it was such a an emotional experience that I honestly can't forget because of how impactful it was and for me it just meant a lot and I really do appreciate those friendships those bonds that I have made so far throughout this year even though yes this year has been pretty crap we're not going to pretend like It's not crap, but there's definitely been highs and lows. That's how it always is. There's always a balance. There's always going to be highs. There's always going to be lows. You're never always going to have, you know, this amazing experience all the time because the reality is the bad stuff is going to kick in. It's just how you view it, how you process it and how you handle it that yes, I'm proud that I was able to become more competent or more confident when it comes to photography and videography. Like, yes, I had to ask for advice. I had to learn and research equipment, like what suits my needs best. And that's why like, here we are, like I'm currently using my Fujifilm X-T4 with its 16 to 55 millimeter f2.8 that this camera just fits my needs because I love the video that comes out of this camera. I love the photos that comes out of this camera. This camera is a very... Professional tool that I like using. And yes, does it have compromises? Absolutely. It's still a good camera, regardless, overall, that it's one of my favorite cameras of the year. The fact that I was able to upgrade a lot of the audio stuff for the show, the fact that we have a proper boom arm, even though, well, obviously in these videos you cannot see it, but the fact that I have a boom arm now for the show, which I actually prefer having my boom arm instead of using my desktop stands because the boom arm is a little bit more comfortable. I like having, you know, this new microphone. I like having the Shure SM7B. This thing is great. The funny thing is I know how to properly use it, unlike most people. That is sadly the truth. It's one of the most popular microphones on the market for streamers, broadcasters, or whatever. And a lot of people don't know how to use it. Thankfully, I did my homework. I did my research. I talked to the right people. And I figured out how to properly use this thing. And that's why the show sounds the way it does. But even though there's all this growth, there's all this progress, you know, also another thing is like getting my car again. The fact that I got a car again after my accident that happened in 2018, that my car hydroplaned and I ended up losing my car. Granted, I'm still alive because, well, I'm here, but I lost my car and I didn't have a car for a while. And that kind of sucks being a college town five hours away from your parents where you don't have any easy way of getting around and the fact that i was able to get a car to me that was a blessing that was a gift for my parents that i appreciate that i really appreciate the fact that my parents constantly keep going out of their way and showing me how much they love me and that they're like hey we are making these decisions we're sacrificing so much so that your life can be better than ours And there was definitely been some life lessons that I want to share with you guys that I've learned throughout this year. One of them, the most important one is learning to be content with your life. That is overarching to me. The most important life lesson I've learned throughout this year is learning to be content with my own life. That means learning to be content when you have everything and when you have nothing. And for a lot of people, that's difficult. It's difficult for a lot of people to grasp that—that that it's a choice, that it is a way of living, that you actively have to choose every single day, because some days are easier than others, and that's just the reality. I speak from experience that some days are much more difficult to say I'm going to be content. Because being content is not a feeling. It's a it's a way of living. It's a choice. Happiness is a feeling. It comes and goes always. Being content never changes. It's constant. And I feel like that's something that I had to learn very, very, very difficult. Like it was not an easy thing to learn. I'm not saying this like it was the easiest thing I ever learned and I've still figured it out because I'm still trying to figure it out. I haven't properly, like truly figured out because there's some days, like I said, where I don't make that choice, where I'm not being constant or consistent, where I'm choosing the old ways, old habits that don't lead me anywhere. that don't make my life better or don't help me grow or help me get into a better position in life. And I had to learn that and I'm still learning it. That's just the cold, hard realities. I'm still learning how to be content. And it takes time, it takes years. But I'm glad that I'm learning it now rather than learning it later. I'd rather learn that lesson now than have to deal with it maybe 10, 20 years, 30 years down the line. You know? Another thing was learning to be content while being single. Learning to be okay with being single. That, hey, it's okay. Being single is not a curse. It's a blessing. Use this time now to grow to grow as a person know who you are as a person and then the right person will show up but you have to focus on you first and that was something that was a bit difficult for me because i'm usually someone that likes putting the needs of others before me that i like to focus on others and sometimes that causes me to not focus on myself and i ended up and i got caught flipping so that's just the reality of it I got caught slipping. But I do also want to say another lesson I learned was, I wouldn't say follow your feelings because that's a terrible piece of advice, but I would say learn to take the hint because I have noticed that from many conversations I had with my therapist and things like that, and even just other people and just, you know, looking back and reflecting a lot of experiences in my life. I'm a pretty creative person. I've been told this multiple times, like Josh, you're actually pretty creative. You like drawing, you like, you know, taking photos. Obviously I like streaming. I like playing on the, (laughs) playing on the computer with the guys or the Xbox or whatever. And I took it and I started doing photography and it's really fun to me. It's really enjoyable. I like doing it. I like taking portraits for people like, I eventually want to get a position where I can shoot weddings for people. Granted, am I going to be a full-time wedding photographer? Probably not. Uh, probably not. But it would definitely be a nice thing to do on the side. It's same thing with shooting videos for, for for weddings as well. That's something that, to me, I like to capture those very beautiful moments, like very intimate moments, because to me, it's just how I envision things of... I would say people say like kind of trying to make things a perfect way, but it's just something beautiful to see, you know, two people genuinely loving each other, knowing that love is not a feeling. That's the important thing is knowing two people that know that love is not a feeling, but a choice, genuinely loving each other, caring for one another, protecting one another, nurturing one another, uplifting one another, sacrificing for one another. To me, That is such a beautiful thing to see that I want everyone to see. And that's why, like, I want to shoot a wedding one day. I want to be able to have that opportunity. Maybe 2021 might be the year where I get to shoot weddings and that'd be pretty fun. Yeah. Some people say, well, yeah, it's also a good payday, but that's not the point. The pay is just a, you know, side benefit, but it's definitely an enjoyable experience that I just want to have that experience, you know, but I do also want to say that it's been a very interesting year. That's just cold, dead hard on us that this has been a very wild, crazy year that I'm surprised we're almost done, you know, because the time that this episode goes live, it's going to be what the 30th of December. So we're not even at New Year's yet, but I do want to say thank you guys for everything though. Because you guys have been with me throughout this entire year. You've been listening to the show. You've been watching the show. You've been sharing the episodes. You've been constantly voting on the episodes and the topics that you want me to talk about. And to me, it just really means a lot. You know, the fact that we hit over 2000 total downloads is incredible. The fact that we celebrated the one year anniversary of the show, the fact that we started including video, the fact that we increased the audio quality and the production of the show in general. It has been a good year for the show to be honest it really has and I've been very happy I've been very thankful I've been grateful for everything you've done and you guys continue to do because you guys are awesome and you guys are just wonderful i do also want to say that that's another lesson that I had to learn was being grateful because I have had so many blessings in my life whether it be my family my friends making new friends adding people to my family when I say my family, I always tell people to me, my family are all the people that I care about. My family is not just exclusive to people that are of my bloodline, but I always tell people that there's times where water has become thicker than blood. And that has always held true that I invite people into my family and I treat them as my family, that I care about them. I love them. I protect them. That to me, I treat them as one of my own. And that has been something that I had to learn was to be grateful for all the blessings I have in my life that I shouldn't feel ashamed or that no one should make me feel bad because I've been so blessed. Like I shouldn't feel bad because of that, because that is what's been given to me. And to me, I'm grateful for everything. Yes. Has things been difficult? Absolutely. I wish I could have the opportunity to have said hi to my grandfather or say I love him again. I wish I could. But the past is the past. You can only affect the future. I know, you know, speaking for my family, my grandfather will always be with us. He always will be. It was ironic that a piece of advice my grandfather gave us that specifically he gave to my mom, and my aunt, and my uncle, that a piece of advice he gave them was the Brennans do not bend in need of their problems. They don't. It's ironic because that is very similar to a proverb that I know that says, For the righteous fall seven times, arises again and again, but the wicked stumble and calamity strikes. That I knew that my grandfather knew that how interesting but overall this has been an incredible year i know some people say well depending on what context you want to say incredible but it definitely is an interesting year i'm glad that this year is finally going to be over because a lot of people want this year to be over with and i don't blame them for wanting this year to be over with hopefully 2021 could be better maybe like 2020 already set the bar pretty low to, you know, be worse, but we'll find out. We'll see how 21 2021 turns out. The most important thing is to live one day at a time, to not make plans for the future. There's nothing wrong with having plans, but just be mindful that not everything is set in stone, that not everything is set in stone. Live one day at a time. Be grateful for every day you have and be grateful for everything you have to begin with. Learn to be content with your own life. And if you're single, there's nothing wrong with being single. Just keep being patient. The right person will show up, but you should not be lazy. You should be constantly getting ready for that right person because they are not going to go slow when they show up. That's just the reality of it. When the right person shows up, they're wanting to go, like, fast. Like, I know some people say, Josh, it's a bit crazy, don't you think? But it's like, it happens every time. When it's the right person, they do not want to go slow. But I thank you guys for this incredible year. Thank you guys for a wonderful 2020. Yes, we try to make the most of it, you know, or at least try to make the most of a pretty bad situation. But I do thank you guys for everything. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful New Year's Eve with your family, friends. Try to be safe in the process because, like I said, the world is still kind of poop right now. And hopefully, in time, we can go back to a new normal and, or at least establish a new normal when all this is said and done. And we can see how things turn out. But we can always make progress together that you're not alone in the situation. I'm never alone, you're never alone. that we can always strive for better together because I always feel like being community and union with one another is always the best way to go about things because you're never alone. You have somebody there that can understand that can relate, that can empathize. they may not understand a hundred percent how you feel, but they can sure empathize and at least make an effort to understand. But I thank you guys for everything. I love you guys to death. please continue to be safe. Please don't do anything dumb. Please have yourselves a wonderful week. As I mentioned, we're only having one episode this week given the current circumstances and just family stuff. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode, this 2020 recap. It was a real talk that this was just me pouring out my heart and pouring out what's on my mind and just reflecting on this year. And while I have failed, I have also succeeded. It's also going to be interesting now because, well, now that I'm a business major, some people are going to make jokes like, hey, hey, Josh, you're going to get rid of that episode of uh, being in engineering. Um, that'll probably be the first episode of 2021 where we explain, you know, why I chose to do a business or specifically marketing, but same jazz, you know, eh, you know, same, it's the same thing, <laughs> but I love you guys to death. Please continue to be safe. Have yourselves a wonderful week, guys. I will see you guys next week and it will be the first episode of 2021. So it's going to be very exciting. So I'll see you guys next week. I love you guys, guys. I love you guys, guys. Oh, my gosh. I love you guys to death. Bye, guys.
1: Hey there. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day and listening to today's episode. If you're interested in supporting the show, whether it be financially, clicking the follow button, or just sharing the episode, it all works for me, guys. Thank you guys so much for your time, and I love you guys to death.
7: All right, you want to hear something strange, and this relates to our sponsor today, but this is really important. I found out pretty early on that the fuel that I put in my body, right, like the food I eat, actually directly affects my output, my creativity, my energy levels, my stress levels, etc. It's so, so important, which is why I always get so excited when I see companies trying to help out to not just make things healthier but also make things easier too. And that's exactly what Hello Fresh does. And I'd love for you to warm up this winter with fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door, totally contact-free by the way. Hello Fresh also lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and enjoy high-quality veggies, proteins so that you can turn those new year resolutions into realities. Have I used Hello Fresh? Yes. And I love it, not just because it's healthy and it's easy, but also it brings the family closer together. I have young kids. I can get them involved. All the stuff is pre-measured, so we don't have to like have all this extra stuff, no food waste. It actually cuts down on bills. It's affordable. It's great. They have something called Easy Eats, offerings, which has tons of quickie, easy meal solutions. Yes, I said quickie. <laughs> like oven ready and 10 to 20 minute meals, perfect for your busy schedule in case you're running around and, and got lots of stuff to do. And they offer flexibility. So you can customize your orders every week. You can change your delivery days or food preference, and you can skip a week if you want. So I highly recommend it. You can check it out. And guess what? You can get 10 free meals. All you have to do is go to hellofresh.com SPI 10 and use code SPI 10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash SPI 10 for 10 free meals, and that includes free shipping.
1: Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, at one point when he was younger, he thought Ghost was one of the scariest movies out there, Pat Flynn.
7: Whew, 2020. 2020 was a ride, and a crazy one at that. But here at the end of the year, we have literally two days left at the time that this episode goes live. And I wanted to spend some time with you, going back into time, in fact, in the DeLorean, traveling all the way back to January 1st, 2020, before all the craziness began, in fact. And we're going to go month by month. And I'm just going to recall some of the conversations some of the lessons, some of the challenges, some of the struggles, some of the things that we've overcome, some of the possibilities, some of the opportunities that have since come around during this year. And as we go into 2021, I want to wish you all the best. I want to thank you so much for being here and for being a subscriber, for being a fan, for all the positive comments and all the constructive criticisms that have come my way this year. I think all of us have had a lot to learn and have had a lot to deal with for sure. And of course, it is those who understand that no matter what happens, that there are possibilities, that there are opportunities. Those of you who have taken on to those and taken hold of those opportunities, I wanna congratulate you. And that doesn't mean if you didn't, that all is lost, because guess what's coming around the corner? A brand new year, 2021, and I'm looking forward to spending it with you. We have a lot of great episodes coming your way. In fact, somebody who is one of the only podcasts that I listen to. He will be coming on the show at the first of the year. He's a surprise guest, and I'm really excited to share how he's been able to combine both podcasting in the audio format that we all know, and YouTube, and in fact, his YouTube channel is doing even better than his audio podcast. And again, like I said, he's somebody that I listen to daily. I can't wait to introduce him to you, as well as the many, many guests that we've already had on to record and are ready and edited and coming your way. So if you haven't yet done so, make sure you hit that subscribe button. But I wanna go back in time. I wanna take the DeLorean back to January 1st and month by month, I just wanna kinda go over the the set list, if you will, and some of the highlights. I mean, every episode had highlights for sure. And of course, you can always go to any of the sessions. You can go to smartpassiveincome.com to check out the archive or even the archive inside of the app that you're listening to right now. But I wanted to remind you about some of the things that we discussed, some of the challenges that we've had, and the topics that we discussed, in case you wanna go back and listen to them. We may pull in clips from these episodes as well if there are any special moments, and I can't wait to share them with you. So let's in fact go back to January 1st, where we had a conversation with a very, very well-known author. His name is Patrick Lencioni, very sort of Italian, right, Lencioni. I don't know if that's in fact how you pronounce it, but what I can pronounce is the fact that his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, it was one of the best reads that I've had in the past couple of years. Most useful for me, especially as a new leader for a new team, we ended up acquiring a company to take on that team and actually hire them as employees for Team SPI. It is now known as SPI Media. Flindustries Industries has branched off and it's become the YouTube channel, my books and, and my workshops, my coaching, anything that I do specifically, just me, is at Flynn Industries. SPI Media is now this company, and you have gotten to meet several of the other team members this year, from Matt to everybody, has stepped up this year on Team SPI. And a big shout out to Team SPI for continuing the mission to support you, the entrepreneur, and help you get closer to achieving your goals and making it easier for you and making you feel connected and and, and hopefully a sense of belonging with that as well. But episode 404 with Patrick Lencioni was so good and I had so many comments. I mean, it was a perfect way to start the year because I know a lot of you had been building your teams too. And if you are going to build your team in 2021, that's definitely one to listen to. His book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, we in fact read it as a team before I brought Patrick on the show. And that was just like, that was just solidifying everything that we had learned together as a team reading his book. And what this book tells you are different scenarios and ways and things that teams must have in order for the teams to work. And if there's not trust, if, if there's not, you know, I'm not going to cover the book specifically here, but again, I would highly recommend reading the book and listening to that episode. We do cover all five of those dysfunctions. And I remember just such a professional conversation that we had, and Patrick having so much experience helping Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies, and so many of our friends, definitely one to follow for sure. Mid-month in January, we also spoke about email marketing. Email marketing was a big component of the year. We had launched our course that we had beta tested at the end of 2019 called Email Marketing Magic. And then we launched it publicly at the beginning of 2020. And we had some podcast episodes to support that. In fact, episode 406 was about the seven do's and don'ts of email marketing success. So we talked about 14 things, essentially, seven things you should do and seven things you shouldn't do. And if you haven't yet started your email, you have to do it in 2021. I can't, I mean, you know what? I've had the pleasure of watching a lot of my friends get very very adamant about things they truly believe in and how much their brand has grown because people become you know sensitive to what they preach and what they say and what they become known for and i have to say that there are two things i mean there's many things that i say but there, a requirement to succeed in business today in my opinion is having an email list I'm also very adamant about building super fans and not just focusing on the numbers and uh, you know the credit card numbers behind each of those numbers and the potential subscriber, reader, follower, listener, viewer, but the human behind it too. But with email marketing, it's still a direct connection to your audience, especially as a lot of people in the startup space has been calling out Facebook and YouTube for putting up quote unquote walled gardens, where yes, we might get a subscriber, we might get a follower, But yet our messages don't even get across to them because we either have to pay to play or know exactly how the algorithm works. And with email, yes, you're still competing, but you're not competing with algorithms. You're competing with other people who are emailing them too. So do definitely focus on creating really good subject lines. Don't use words that trigger your email to spam. So just a little bit of a preview there. Make sure to go listen to episode or session 406, all of these, and the short links to the show notes page. And of course, I'll remind you with the numbers. Patrick Lancioni 404, do's and don'ts of email marketing, 406. If you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 406, that'll take you directly to that episode in case you're curious. And it'll take you to the show notes and all the links and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, we had launched Email Marketing Magic. Over 300 people came in And it was definitely a wonderful way to start the year. This is actually, and that was in February when we launched the course, it went so well that because of all the time and effort I put into launching it, I didn't have time to shave. And as a result of launching really successfully, I decided that I wasn't gonna shave my beard until the next launch. And I called it for a while, my lucky launch beard. And for anybody who has seen me on YouTube or Instagram lately, you know that this year I've had a beard, but I did not shave it off. I still have it at the time of this recording. I don't know when I'm gonna shave it off, but we'll see. But this thing that became the lucky launch beard (laughs) eventually turned into the COVID beard, and myself and several other people have since grown beards, and first of all, I didn't even know it was possible for me. Anyway, enough beard talk. Let's talk about February. So we had this very successful launch, but amidst the podcast archive during this time, on February 12th, episode 410, we invited a man on the show, his name, Mark Bowness. And Mark had a very, very emotional story. He is known for helping people build tribes, especially on Facebook, having communities and using Facebook groups to grow them. I highly recommend if you are involved in creating Facebook groups and you wanna really understand what it's like to build the culture there and and, and have a sense of belonging and tribe, which is, of course, what I talk about in my book, Superfans, quite a bit. And he takes it to a whole new level. He was very close to taking his life at one point. He was rock bottom. The title of the episode, how building a tribe took this man from rock bottom to massive business success. And Mark, who is out of Australia, had done some amazing things to bring people together and as a result was not just able to save his own life, but save other lives too. And that was a very emotional story. It's just coming to mind as I'm looking at the list of episodes that came out this past year. Then in March, March was an interesting time. We had launched Power Up Podcasting again, and that was really exciting. Mid-launch, and this was right after Social Media Marketing World. I'd just seen my best friend Chris Ducker, and everything was fine. They were just talking about at the event, you know, hey, fist bumps and elbow bumps only because this thing is happening over in China. And then all of a sudden, after Social Media Marketing World, the lockdowns. And this is when we had to actually pull back from our promotions. We had all these emails, we had everything going and and automated. And of course, we just couldn't ignore what was happening in the world. So we pulled back our marketing efforts to be sensitive to what was happening. We didn't wanna be tone deaf and we wanted to lead by example in that case. And we didn't know what was gonna happen. And I don't think anybody else did. And it was interesting because at the end of the month, we invited a good friend of mine, Grant Baldwin on the show. And Grant was talking about presentations and how you can prepare for your presentation. That was a very memorable episode for me because we had discussed as if you were gonna do your first presentation, you, the listener. And we had said, okay, let's play the scenario, a listener. They're going to the event for the first time. What should they do to prepare? What should they do when they get there? What are things they should do when they get on stage? And that was interesting because, of course, now stages are completely different. The stage is now virtual. I've switched from doing a lot of keynote presentations in person, I had to cancel all of my chats, all of my talks, and I've been doing a lot of virtual conferences, and a lot of the same stuff still applies. Grant came out with a new book, and I highly recommend listening to this episode if you want to get introduced to this world of public speaking, and now the cool thing about this is public speaking is now more able to be available to more people. It's much more accessible because now we don't have to travel. I found that this was the case as well when I hired Brittany Lynn, who is a student of mine. She was in my accelerated program. That program has since ended, and she had helped me with PR. And this is fast-forwarding a little bit to July and August, but PR and getting on television to do news shows was very simple because worldwide, or nationwide at least, everybody was just calling in from Zoom or Skype. And so I was able to get access to Washington to Oregon to Florida and Arizona and I was seen in news channels everywhere and a lot of the story on those interviews were about how I got laid off in 2008 and now in 2020 12 years later massive layoffs record numbers of unemployment and a lot of people struggling so Brittany was able to position the story in a way where my story from 08 was very helpful because I wanted to present to you, all of you and everybody who was watching on these news channels, that this was an opportunity. This was a time that we now have to make a decision on what our future is gonna be like. Do we wanna choose to make a decision and go down the path of woe is me and I'm just gonna wait around for things to happen? Or are we gonna grasp and take hold of the opportunities that are in front of us? And so big shout out and thank you to my PR person, Brittany Lynn, you can find her at Brittany L, -L 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 Lynn, L-Y-N-N dot com. Now let's head into April. April, things were getting kind of crazy again. We, again, didn't know what was happening. A lot of school related decisions were being made. I remember at the time we had thought that the kids would be back in school by Easter. And of course that didn't happen. And they're still not back in school at this point, even at the end of December here. We'll see what 2021 brings, but we're definitely playing it safe. And I know a lot of people were playing it safe too. So big shout out to teachers for being adaptable and getting into this new world that we've never been in before and still doing your best to teach and educate our kids. And I know it's been a struggle for sure. This is why on the Income Stream, every single dollar and super chat that was donated on the Income Stream, this is a donation that can come in through my YouTube channel, was donated to teachers in September, October, November, and December. And if you are a teacher, thank you for what you do. This year has been crazy, but in addition to helping kids learn, you're also adaptable. And I want to commend you for that. I want to recognize you for that and thank you for doing what you do. Going back to April, uh, I was really excited to chat with Jordan Harbinger. And Jordan Harbinger is somebody who you might remember. He was on the show uh, a year and a half ago about how he was laid off essentially from his own team. He got let go from his own. his he, So he was the host of the Art of Charm podcast. And his own team members kicked him out of the business. And he was sort of like left to figure things out. And it was Jordan and the connections that he had, the relationships that he had built, that allowed him to ask for help to a point where it wasn't weird, but it was just what a friend would do to a friend. And now Jordan and his show, the Jordan Harbinger show is doing even better. And he's awesome. And he was able to have the amazing late Kobe Bryant on the show before Kobe passed away. And that was a tough time. I mean, we had so much stuff happen in 2020, right? From the fires in Australia to kick off the year to COVID and just everything, right? There was so much stuff. And Jordan, he was on the show to talk about how he's able to get high profile guests on your podcast or how to have them as guests on your show if it's a video show. So that happened early April in episode 418. And Jordan and I have continued to stay connected with each other, primarily Because we are now both advisors to Squadcast. And Squadcast is really amazing. It is a tool that you can use to record interviews over the internet. And it's cool because it's very simple to use. It records the highest quality audio, way better than Zoom, way better than Skype. It's what I use to record all my interviews, and I highly recommend checking it out. If you do wanna check it out, smartpassiveincome.com slash squadcast. And if it hasn't happened already, They should have video recording capability too. They're literally in the middle of of the final pieces of the beta right now at the time of this recording. So by the time you're listening to this, it might be out already. And Jordan and I are a member of a team of advisors there who are offering our help, and it's a tool that I use all the time. And I absolutely, absolutely love it. Now let's go to May. In May, we had some really, really amazing women on the show. And to start off the month, we had Prerna, who in fact was somebody who helped me with the copywriting on some of my sales pages. So if you are looking to sell something, you might wanna know, well, what should you do on a sales page? And we talk about uncommon sales page components. So a lot of people talk about, okay, the headline and we structured it and you know it's supposed to connect with people, okay. But there's so many other parts of the sales page that are often overlooked. There's a lot of information that you could find about those other things, but this is the only place where you can find information about things like how to actually properly share and when to share the guarantee, how to show proof about the thing that you are selling so that the person on the other end will be more confident in the purchase. So make sure to listen to episode 423, 423 with Prerna from contentbistro.com. And then the week after that, we had Anne Hanley, A fan favorite, in fact, somebody who had been asked or many of you had asked me to have her on the show and I'm so grateful for that because she was such a joy. She's a great storyteller and we talk about the antidote. Yes, the antidote and a lot of anecdotes. Anecdote, right, that's a story. Anecdote about antidotes to marketing, to dry marketing, right? So how do we make our sales messaging more interesting? And that's something that whenever I see pictures of Anne and her gorgeous puppy, like she's always smiling on her Instagram page. And Anne, if you're listening to this, I appreciate you so much. Every time I just see you, I'm like, oh, marketing can be done the right way and you can be friends with your audience and you could share things, you could sell and serve at the same time. And that's a message I think we all need to hear. And again, those two are a pair. 423 with Prerna and 424 with Anne Hanley, those two work hand in hand. I don't know if they even know each other, but those two podcast episodes, for sure. Because 4.23, specific things about the sales page that aren't talked about very often. And 4.24, hey, let's make our marketing messages more fun and more connecting, more engaging. Anne Hanley, you're amazing, thank you. Then June came around, and we had some of the most important episodes that we've ever published. In fact, these are podcast episodes that should have been published a long time ago. And this was of course when Black Lives Matter and a lot of that messaging started coming out and we started to focus internally with SPI. We in fact have now monthly meetings about what can we continue to do to amplify the voices that have been not so much heard over time. What can we do to get better? What can we do to listen better? And in fact, episode 426, we took a week off the week before And in episode 426, we reached out to black entrepreneurs in the Smart Passive Income audience, and we featured several stories on the show. And I highly recommend listening to this episode, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 426. And it was so enlightening and so special, and it made such a big impact that we invited even more on to come in in episode 433 at the end of June. It was really important for us, though, to just not go, okay, we did our two episodes, volume one, Black Entrepreneurs Speak Out, volume two, Black Entrepreneurs Speak Out, we're good now, we we did our deed, we did our duty, you know, and we've had all these people step up in different brands say, you know what, here's the thing that we're going to do, they do it, and then it's like, okay, well, nothing else has changed since then, right? And that's unfortunate. A lot of brands have changed, and we're trying to do better on our end, too. So in addition to these episodes that have come out, we have throughout the year featured Black Entrepreneurs without even making a big deal about the fact that these are black entrepreneurs and going, hey, look at us, we're on the spotlight now. We're we're actually interviewing black entrepreneurs. No, this is a person who has some amazing stories to share and information that we could all benefit from. They just so happen to be black. Now, around this time of year, we definitely And I especially had so many conversations and I just wanna thank every person who I privately had a conversation with who had helped to educate me. And I just wanna thank all of you so, so much. And also for listening and to hearing those episodes, some of the most downloaded episodes during that time. And I'm grateful for that. That makes me feel happy and it feels like things are headed in the right direction. But I think my calling to you, the listener, now here that we're at the end of 2020 is like, let's not just like go, okay, that was 2020, 2021, okay, new things. Like, let's just continue that. Let's continue amplifying voices and inclusion and making sure that things are right, all right? And it's not gonna be perfect. Listen, and let's just get better, cool, cool. Now let's go to August. In August, we had some amazing episodes. One of the episodes was a solo show and I hadn't called out a solo show in a while. There's gonna be more solo shows next year. I promise you this. I promise you this. So much, no, I can't tell you. My team and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've even announced this yet, but you're gonna find out. So make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already. But there's gonna be more of me. You will see this in some way, shape, or form here on the Smart Passive Income feed. That's the only clue. That's all I'm gonna say right now. Now we had... Episode 435, Seven Terrible Traps Entrepreneurs Fall Into and How to Get Out of Them. And this is, of course, across a decade and two years, so 12 years of business experience. Traps that I have seen my students, many of you, and myself fall into and how we can avoid them. And whether you are in one or many of those traps right now, it's still valuable to listen to in case maybe 2021 you're gonna fall into some of these traps. These traps that may involve things like imposter syndrome and not feeling that you're good enough or creating a high bar, creating a high standard and then feeling like that everything has to outdo everything else that you've done and falling into the trap of never publishing because you're too worried about those expectations. Falling into the trap of Money and when you start to receive money, what that can do to your psyche and your relationships, and how to manage that. So, definitely recommend episode 435. And then going into September, we had September was cool because we had five episodes that month, and the one in the center, 439, that came out mid September was I think one of the most underrated podcast episodes that we've ever had. We had a guest on the show who was from a company called Outgrow.co. And Outgrow.co is a tool that once you see it, you're like, wow, this is probably one of the most powerful marketing tools that you could use. And this is a tool that we are exploring right now. And this allows you to create quizzes and calculators. So the kind of new era of lead magnets, if you will. The first era, back when I first started in the, I don't know, 2008 era, lead magnets that worked well were things like giant eBooks and 60-page white papers and reports and these kinds of things that you would just love to have because that information wasn't available anywhere else. Now, there's too much information. So what had been working for a while are quick, consumable lead magnets, cheat sheets, quick start guides, those kinds of things, right? One page, two page resource, PDFs. Now those are becoming abundant. They're becoming something that people just see and they're like, oh, not another one of those. Now you could still make them work, make them great, have good messaging, sell them, sell them, sell the message and have them subscribe to get it, not sell, like have them pay for it. But the new wave of opt-ins or lead magnets is through a quiz or through a calculator, something where there's actual results in some way, shape, or form. You enter these numbers, you get this result, now you can do something with it, and you can tell them what to do with wherever they end up, right? You do a quiz, you are a Disney princess, Rapunzel, and now that you are Rapunzel, and I say that because you know Buzzfeed has a lot of those quizzes, well, not the best transition, I will say, but I tried. But these quizzes are very popular, And especially if you propose a question that people want to know the answer to, right? And this is why this episode, episode 439, was called the number one most underrated way to grow your email list. So if you have been doing lead magnets, if you have been, you know, creating ways to get people into your email list, um, besides webinars, I still think webinars are key to growing your list because you get a different kind of person joining your list. But If you've been trying your normal traditional lead magnets and they're not working, a quiz that answers a question that people really want to know the answer to or how they relate to that question can go a very, very long way. Then at the end of the month, we had a recurring guest. I think one of our top recurring guests on the show had heard a ton of feedback because every time this person comes on the show, it's just, he's just bang on with information. And he comes from a different perspective, especially from his degree in psychology. And although he is a Stanford grad, I still talk to him because Cal, which is where I went to school, UC Berkeley, Stanford was our rival. And I was brainwashed in the marching band. I still am. Go Bears, down with the red. But Ramit Seti came on the podcast, and despite being a cardinal, he's a good friend of mine, and I appreciate all the minutes that he's on the show every single time he comes on, because it's just, he's not afraid to say the truth. And in this particular episode, we talk about getting your first customers, and he tells so many great stories of people that he's helped and other people that he's seen, and how they got over the fear of making your first dollar or getting your first customer. So if you're literally just starting from scratch, that would definitely be a great episode to listen to. Speaking of Smart From Scratch, or starting from scratch, Smart From Scratch, which is the online course that we had launched. In fact, it was my very first online course that was launched in 2017. It's been updated a couple times, in minor cases, but it's still up to date, and it still continues to help people. In fact, I wanna give a big shout out to Chris Gilmore, Somebody who, because of the niche that he was in and preparing ahead of time using Smart From Scratch, he had the best year of his life, business-wise, revenue-wise. And Chris Gilmore, who is a student of Smart From Scratch, I know he always credits Smart From Scratch for getting him started. It didn't happen right away, but this year became a huge opportunity for him. Massive success to Chris. Well done, my friend. Anyway, Smart From Scratch, when the pandemic hit, from March, I don't know, 20, essentially, to November one, we had given away Smart from Scratch. It was a $249 course that we decided to give away for free because we wanted to help people use this opportunity during the pandemic to start something new. We had around 15 or 16,000 people take us up on that offer. And I wanna congratulate you if you did. You have lifetime access to it. You got in at the right time, well done. We gave away $3.5 million worth of that course and it felt really good. The team was so excited about that, and it's just been incredible to see people already taking action and starting their thing. So if you haven't started your thing yet, definitely listen to Remit in episode 441, smartpassiveincome.com slash session441, or you can check out smartfromscratch.com. It's not free currently, but you can check it out still at smartfromscratch.com also want to give a big shout out to anybody who left a review for Will It Fly, which is if you can't afford or aren't able to invest in Smart From Scratch yet, I would advise checking out my book, Will It Fly? Much cheaper, obviously, without the videos and the details, but that book crossed 1,000 ratings on Amazon in October this year. And I want to thank you all so much for that because that felt very special. You know, only a very small percentage of books especially in the space that I'm in, you know, business and entrepreneurship, get to a thousand ratings. And to see the other books that are out there that have over a thousand ratings and the authors who I adore and I'm a fan of, it just feels really, really great. So thank you so much to everybody who had left a review for Will It Fly, for Superfans as well. We're approaching 500 reviews for that and that's making an impact. I was invited to share that book and actually present about it several times Including at VidSummit, and I got to give a, a shout out to Daryl Eaves, the founder and, and the uh, director over at VidSummit, who invited me to do a keynote, and he decided to buy a whole bunch of books, Superfans, and give them away. And uh, I've been getting so much feedback from the VidSummit audience and anybody else who picked up Superfans Again, I'm just very appreciative of you. So let's move into October now. Speaking of October, and I had mentioned earlier Brittany Lynn, who is my PR person. Well, if you want to learn exactly what she did and how you can do what she does for me on your own or have an assistant do it too, then definitely check out episode 442. 442 with Brittany Lynn. And then in 444... We had an amazing episode with one of the bubbliest personalities we've had on the show. Every time I see her and listen to her, I smile. And I would recommend you check this out if you're at all interested in Instagram Reels or TikTok for business. And yes, it does work. Kenya Kelly in episode 444. She taught me a thing or two. And actually one month after that episode went live, I created a Instagram Reel and I used my desk here I don't know if you could hear that, but this this desk that I just knocked on where I'm recording this episode, I did a little whiteboard drawing and it was just 15 seconds. That video was posted on Instagram Reels and at the date of this recording, it has 650,000 views. It has helped me grow my Instagram channel and helped us get some sales for SwitchPod too because I literally had SwitchPod in that video knowing that that particular video based on what Kenya was teaching me, would potentially do well, and it did. I also repurposed it and put it onto TikTok and got an additional 300,000 subs. So by the time this comes out, I would imagine that that video has been seen over a million times. And it's definitely, I've had videos be seen over a million times, but the one that I'm thinking of took nine years to get there. This one, using Instagram Reels, literally took a month. That's insane. So that's episode 444 with Kenya Kelly, and it's just that was incredible. November, Matt Diavella. Wow. And even though I screwed up and didn't have the right input microphone, Matt brought down the house. I've gotten so much feedback from Matt Diavella. If you don't know who Matt Diavella is, this is episode 447. And Matt Diavella is a YouTube sensation. He uh, practices minimalism and productivity, and he has this really funny personality, but he's not like over the top and aggressive. Like, I highly recommend you check out Matt Diavella. He's just got really, really well shot videos, so well, that's like eye candy. You can't take your eye off the videos once you start it. So just beware. But being it the holidays, you might wanna potentially check it out because not only are his videos entertaining, but they can teach you a thing or two as well. And Matt just came out with his course, Slow Growth Academy, and we talk about his rise to YouTube fame in episode 447. And that was really amazing. That was absolutely really amazing. And then in December here, In December, we talked at the beginning of the month to Casanova, who had another emotional upbringing and and stories about his family and just hardships and just unreal situations to a point where you hear it and you're just like, wow, well, if he could do it and get through it, then so can all of us. And I want to thank Casanova again. I mean, one of the most impactful episodes we've had of the year. And I'm thankful that we sort of uh, had him really close to the end of the year here to think about a lot of the things that we had all gone through this year. And Casanova, with his podcast, you can check him out, Casanova Brooks. And that's episode 451, just an insane story. And you might remember just, he's so easy to listen to and he always has positivity, even in the tone of his voice, despite what had happened to him. And... Of course, a lot of things happened to us this year, and I, and I wanna have you listen to that for inspiration moving forward. That's episode 451 with Casanova Brooks. And then finally, the episode after that, just a couple weeks ago, you might have heard the mom with eight kids, just wow, Lisa Canning.ca mind-blowing, productivity. And the quote that really stuck out to me that I remember was, You can have it all, but you can't do it all. And that's a big differentiation, right? That's a big differentiation. So to every guest who had been on the Smart Passive Income podcast this year, thank you so, so much. To everybody listening right now, whether this is the first episode you listen to or the 52nd of the year, thank you so much. And I cannot wait to serve you. Team SPI, I'm representing them as well. In saying that, we couldn't be more grateful, but we also couldn't be more excited for what's to come, especially, especially in the space of podcasting. We got some plans, we got some things coming. And no, I'm not just talking about special guests, but potentially other podcasts, potentially more. (laughs) I wanted to say it. I wanted to say it, but I'm not. You're going to have to wait. And make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. And of course, always come back to the blog when you can. Smartpassiveincome.com. If you want to check out the show notes, we'll link to all the episodes in the show notes that we mentioned today. So that could be your top directory for all of those in case you didn't catch all the numbers or want to go to them individually. You can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 454. Once again, smartpassiveincome.com slash I'm raising a glass of apple cider to you. Cheers, happy new year, and here's to a successful, healthy, happy, productive, inspirational, motivational, educational 2021. Thank you, I appreciate you. Team Flynn for the win.
1: Peace out, yo. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.
5: Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.